Blog Talk Radio.
You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll arise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just because I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like suns and like moons, with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my sadness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just because I laugh. <laughs> As if I have gold mines digging in my own backyard. You can shoot me with your words. You can cut me with your lies. You can kill me with your hatefulness. But just like life, I rise. Does my sexiness offend you? Oh. Does it come as a surprise that I dance as if I have diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history, shame, I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain, I rise. A black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak miraculously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the hope and the dream of the slave. And so, naturally, there I go rising. Jay Talks to the People welcomes the voice of that of which you just heard. Maya Angelo to the show. I am the host. I am the host, Jay. Yeah, and I'm the co-host today, Miss Rain. Welcome, people, to the program. Thank you again for tuning in. Please visit Facebook and become a member of Jay Talks to the People Facebook group. Search for Jay Talks to the People on YouTube, youtube.com. And if you search for Jay Talks to the People on Google, you will find content of Jay Talks to the People on multiple different media sites. And contacting this program with any requests that you may have, utilize the email address, jtalkstothepeople at yahoo.com. Yes, indeed. I was feeling that song, Hold On. Hold on. Be patient. Time will take care of everything. Classic song by the late, great Lou Rawls. But hold on. Miss Rain, I know you was feeling that song, Hold On. Tell me you was. 
Yeah, I was feeling it. I, the beat was that that was really good. It was nice. I don't think I heard that song before. As a matter of fact, so it was really good. I like I like the groove to it. Tell us what you know about the late great Maya Angelou. All right. Um, when I think of Maya Angelou, for me personally, how how I knew came to know about her uh, was in eighth grade. Um, in eighth grade, we had like a lot of different things that we were um, reading, a lot of different readings that we had to do, and I was able to read um, her first book, which is I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, and um, I was able to you know, basically immense myself into her life, which that's autobiographical for her, um, of her life and her struggles and the things she went through until the age of 17, um, which is, you know, it, it wasn't a peach, a peachy cream type of a lifestyle that she had. Uh, when I think about her, I think about what is possible. Even without uh, someone's help, she was able to, go out and chase her dreams. She wasn't afraid to take risks. If she wanted to learn to dance, then she would fly to New York and learn to dance there. She would join the writing guild in in Harlem. She would go to Africa for nine years and and work with Malcolm X and, and come back to the U.S. and just live her life and also just find greatness in what she loves to do. So, that's what I think of when I when I think about Maya Angelou. Um, but that's how yeah. I came to know about her, reading her first her book, her first book. Yeah, if you just listen to her writings and her literature, you know that those words carry a lot of meaning. And sometimes you don't even capture the meaning until the complete narrative is over. And then it all starts coming together. You know, the words, there's more to it than just the words rhyming, you know. Mm-hmm. In the clip that I just played entitled Still I Rise. Mm-hmm. I was listening to that this morning, too. Um, that's your favorite one that you heard from her, or that's just one of the ones that you like that she wrote? That's just one of the ones that I... Enjoy. So I have some information here that uh, Maya Angelou, born Marguerite Annie Johnson, born April 4th, 1928, and departed May 28th, 28th, 2014, two years ago. She was uh, an American poet, memoirist, civil rights activist. She published seven autobiographies, three books of essays, several books of poetry, and was credited with a list of plays, movies, television shows, spanning over 50 years. She received dozens of awards and more than 50 honorary degrees. Angelo is best known for her series of seven autobiographies, which focused on her childhood and early adult experiences. The first, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, 1969, tells of her life up to age of 17, as you just said, and brought her 
international recognition and acclaim. Yeah, that definitely. That was an amazing book. Did you get the chance to read it, or uh, you haven't read it yet? Um, yeah, I, I've actually. I don't think I have. I actually have a a clip or an excerpt here from her book. Why I know why the cage bird sings. Be good. Random House yeah. Audio presents I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. By the Caged Bird I am sings. Maya Angelo. looking at me for I didn't come to stay I hadn't so much forgot as I couldn't bring myself to remember other things were more important what you looking at me for I didn't come to stay whether I could remember the rest of the poem or not was immaterial the truth of the statement was like a wadded up handkerchief sopping wet in my fists and the sooner they accepted it the quicker I could let my hands open and the air would cool my palms. What you looking at me for? The children's section of the Colored Methodist Episcopal Church was wiggling and giggling over my well-known forgetfulness. The dress I wore was lavender taffeta, and each time I breathed, it rustled. And now that I was sucking in air to breathe out shame, it sounded like crepe paper on the back of hearses. As I had watched Mama put ruffles on the hem and cute little tucks around the waist, I knew that once I put it on, I'd look like a movie star. It was silk, and that made up for the awful color. I was going to look like one of the sweet little white girls who were everybody's dream of what was right with the world. Hanging softly over the black Singer sewing machine, it looked like magic. And when people saw me wearing it, they were going to run up to me and say, Marguerite. Sometimes it was, Dear Marguerite, forgive us, please. We didn't know who you were. And I would answer generously, No, you couldn't have known. Of course I forgive you. Just thinking about it, made me go around with angel's dust sprinkled over my face for days. But Easter's early morning sun had shown the dress to be a plain, ugly cut-down from a white woman's once-was purple throwaway. It was old lady long, too. But it didn't hide my skinny legs, which had been greased with blue seal Vaseline and powdered with the Arkansas red clay. The age-faded color made my skin look dirty like mud, and everyone in church was looking at my skinny legs. Wouldn't they be surprised when one day I woke out of my black, ugly dream and my real hair, 
which was long and blonde, would take the place of the kinky mass that Mama wouldn't let me straighten. My light blue eyes were going to hypnotize them after all the things they said about my daddy must have been a Chinaman. I thought they meant made out of China, like a cup, because my eyes were so small and squinty. Then they would understand why I had never picked up a southern accent or spoke the common slang, and why I had to be forced to eat pig's tails and snouts, because I was really white, and because a cruel, very stepmother, who was understandably jealous of my beauty, had turned me into a too-big Negro girl with nappy black hair, broad feet, and a space between her teeth that would hold a number two pencil. What you looking The minister's wife leaned toward me, her long yellow face full of sorry. She whispered, I just come to tell you it's Easter Day. I repeated, jamming the words together. I just come to tell you it's Easter Day, as low as possible. The giggles hung in the air like melting clouds that were waiting to rain on me. I held up two fingers close to my chest, which meant that I had to go to the toilet and tiptoed toward the rear of the church. Dimly, somewhere over my head, I heard ladies saying, Lord, bless that child, and praise God. My head was up and my eyes were open, but I didn't see anything. Halfway down the aisle, the church exploded with, Were you there when they crucified my Lord, the song? And I tripped over a foot stuck out from the children's pew. I stumbled and started to say something, or maybe to scream. But a green persimmon, or it could have been a lemon, caught me between the legs and squeezed. I tasted the sour on my tongue and felt it in the back of my mouth. Then, before I reached the door, the sting was burning down my legs and into my Sunday socks. I tried to hold, to squeeze it back, to keep it from speeding. But when I reached the church porch, I knew I'd have to let it go, or it would probably run right back up to my head, and my poor head would burst like a dropped watermelon, and all the brains and spit and tongue and eyes would roll all over the place. So I ran down into the yard and let it go. I ran peeing and crying, not toward the toilet, out back, but toward our house. I'd get a whipping for it, to be sure, and the nasty children would have something new to tease me about. I laughed anyway, partially for the sweet release. Still, the greater joy came, not only from being liberated, from the silly church, but from the knowledge that I wouldn't die from a busted head. If growing up is painful for the southern black girl, being aware of her displacement is the rust on the razor that threatens the throat. It is an unnecessary insult. One. When I was three and barely four, we had arrived in the musty little town, wearing tags on our wrists, which instructed, to whom it may concern, that we were Marguerite and Bailey Johnson, Jr., 
from Long Beach, California, en route to Stamps, Arkansas, in care of Mrs. Annie Henderson. Our parents had decided to put an end to their calamitous marriage, and father shipped us home to his mother. A porter had been charged with our welfare. He got off the train the next day in Arizona, and our tickets were pinned to my brother's inside coat pocket. I don't remember much of the trip, but after we reached the segregated southern part of the journey, things must have looked up. Negro passengers, who always traveled with loaded lunchboxes, felt sorry for the poor little motherless darlings and plied us with cold fried chicken and potato salad. Years later, I discovered that the United States had been crossed thousands of times by frightened black children traveling alone to their newly affluent parents in northern cities or back to grandmothers in southern towns when the urban north reneged on its economic promises. The town reacted to us as its inhabitants had reacted to all things new before our coming. It regarded us a while without curiosity, but with caution, and after we were seen to be harmless and children, it closed in around us as a real mother embraces a stranger's child, warmly but not too familiarly. We lived with our grandmother and uncle in the rear of the store. It was always spoken of with a capital S, which she had owned some 25 years. Early in the century, Mama, we soon stopped calling her grandmother, sold lunches to the sawmen in the lumber yard, East Stamps, and the seed men at the cotton gin, West Stamps. Her crisp meat pies and cool lemonade, when joined to her miraculous ability to be in two places at the same time, assured her business success. You're listening to Jay Talks to the People. I am the host, Jay. And, of course, also I am joined with yeah. Miss Rain and Spirit. Of I'm here. Angela. <laughs> Excuse me, Maya Angelo. And what did you, uh, Miss Rain, what did you get out of what you just heard? Yeah, from from what I can hear, hear just like uh, what you said earlier, um, like imagine in the way that she writes the story, it puts you in her perspective at that time. Like just right. going back to childhood, and we all had those moments where we felt awkward or maybe embarrassed, and we had to take a deep breath to, you know, kind of let out those feelings. She kind of described that perfectly. I knew exactly what she was saying when she was talking about that instance where she had to do that and, you know, um, just being displaced because there were a couple of times during her childhood where she had to go back down to to Stamps, Arkansas, I believe, um, to live with her her grandmother, and she felt like she didn't fit in. Um, She talked about how she didn't speak with the accent and she didn't, you know, uh, speak with the slang. And I can kind of agree with that. Me being from Texas, going to Philadelphia, 
growing up there, there is a difference in in that feeling of feeling out of place. And she kind of described it perfectly. It's very descriptive language that she uses, isn't it? Absolutely. Because she could have just yeah, as easily I, said, oh, I had a... Sorry about that. You were going to say something? That? I said you were going to say no, something? Go okay, I, no, I was going to say that. Yeah, she could have just as easily said, hey, I, you know, I was staying with my grandmother. I felt uncomfortable. The kids teased me. But she went through and detailed it in such detail that there's no way you couldn't feel the feelings that she felt going through that experience. Yeah, I get a sense that I know why the cage bird sings is a sense of being cut off, a sense of being separated, that things outside of the cage are put at a different value or put at a higher value than that was separate. So in basically, in final words, what would you have to say about Maya Angelou and her memory and what the next generation should probably appreciate about this woman? I think they should appreciate the amount of accomplishment and with what little she had to work with. We have so many opportunities now um, for you to not have a dream and not be able to pursue it and and not have anything really blocking you. You can't really complain as much. I mean, she really came from, you know, from from the most, you know, underprivileged area to do what she's done and what she's actually achieved. Um, another thing is just to take advantage of the wealth of things that she left behind because I don't think there will be another Maya Angelou. So we have to, you know, appreciate it and preserve it and then try to build upon um, that level of, you know, literary greatness. So that's what I have to say about Maya Angelou. Yes, indeed. This has been another edition of Jay Speaks to the People. Uh, went by too fast. Hopefully we can continue to bring more, continue to listen, continue to support each other. Thank you, Ms. Rain, for making it onto the program today. I appreciate you for having me. You guys have All a right, good folks, weekend. Thank you for tuning in. You too. Thank you folks for tuning in.